Welcome to the Holistic Psychiatry Podcast. I'm Courtney Snyder, a physician, an adult, and child holistic psychiatrist. In today's podcast, I'll be talking about befriending uncertainty. There are many ways that we can lower stress in our lives, but one of the most important things we can do, which is hardly ever talked about, is that we can learn to befriend uncertainty. We can literally rewire our brains to have a healthier relationship with the future. And because things often don't go the way we want or expect, we have plenty of opportunities to rewire our brains in a way that is more aligned with reality and thus more conducive to thriving. In this podcast, I'll talk about factors that make us especially susceptible to clinging to outcomes. I'll discuss how this grasping and worry can impact our health and well-being. I'll give six examples to help us recognize when we're doing this and talk about how we can use these opportunities to transform into a new way of being, one that is less stressful and more present. As someone who previously was a worrier and went to great lengths to try to control the future, I'll give examples from my own life and how I approach uncertainty now. First, what is the cost of worrying too much about the future or trying too hard to control it? First, we lose the present. As Annie Dillard says, how we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives. If we are spending our days worrying about the future, we are losing our days, and for many of us, chunks and even large swaths of our lives can be lost. Worrying about the future also throws us off our focus, our routine, and our contentment. It doesn't feel good in our body, and this is why. It causes stress hormones to increase, and with that can cause inflammation. And inflammation in the body can cause secondary brain inflammation, which can further increase anxiety. With this stress can also come depletion of certain nutrients, particularly zinc and B6, which we need for stress tolerance. Worry about the future can also put our autonomic nervous system, this is part of our nervous system which largely operates outside our conscious awareness, it can put this part of our nervous system into a low-grade but chronic state of fight-or-flight. This too increases inflammation and decreases the rest and digest state, which we need for our organs to work well and for detoxification. And unless we're in the rest and digest state, we're unable to connect with others. Have you ever noticed when you're stressed, it can feel like those around you aren't there? When we are in a state of worry, we're unable to see the big picture. Being present with those we care about and really listening and communicating well are naturally put on the back burner. Our physiology goes into survival mode, even though what we're worried about isn't necessarily life or death. Our body doesn't necessarily make the distinction, for example, between a job interview and running from lions. So consider how nice it would be if we could stay in the present and put the future in its place and trust that it will be there when we get there. We all vary in how able we are to roll with life as it comes. And there are a number of factors that can impact our vulnerability to worrying about the future. 
First, it's worth mentioning that those who are more susceptible to clinging to outcomes are those who struggle with perfectionism, who are somewhat detail-oriented, who tend to think things need to be a certain way, who may not be flexible in their thinking, and they may be particularly competitive. These states can be related to relatively low serotonin activity. From a biochemical standpoint, it could be related to what we call endermethylation or even pyrrole disorder, which I've discussed in previous podcasts. And I'll continue to bring these up in future podcasts because they are very common when it comes to anxiety and or depression. Imbalances can be largely genetic and undermethylation specifically appears to be more aligned with traits and symptoms associated with the left hemisphere. So when we talk about being left brain, that would be fitting in many ways with being undermethylated. Although left brain is describing a structural propensity, whereas undermethylation is describing a biochemical propensity. Life experiences can also impact how likely we are to cling to outcomes or have a need for things to be a certain way, especially very early life experiences, which we may not even remember. This is when our neurobiology is being wired, and for various reasons, when we are young, we may have learned that our survival depended on being able to control the environment, and we grew a sense of security that we'd be okay the more that we could control outcomes. Despite evidence that we actually can't control everything, this hardwiring can still be there. We may even have been rewarded later in our childhood or even in our adulthood for some of this control. Perhaps we had a lot of accomplishments and a lot of successes, even if we weren't able to find much joy in those, mainly because there was always more future out there that we would need to control. Another reason we can cling to outcomes is because we might be trying to avoid uncomfortable feelings. Perhaps we never learned such feelings were safe, or maybe we never learned to recognize those feelings. Again, these are skills that we learn very early in life. Maybe we were taught not to cry or show anger. If we can control everything, then we don't have to have what for some people can be intolerable feelings. I would actually describe myself as having been one of those people. I didn't do sad, but I especially didn't do anger. I don't mean acting anger out. I'm talking about just recognizing this as a healthy emotion. The problem with not doing mad or sad is that they are still there, and one sign that they're trying to express themselves is when we become anxious or try to control outcomes and really try to control the universe. This way of thinking is aligned with addiction in many ways. In fact, you could consider it an addiction, an addiction to an imaginary future. And like any addiction, it can be an attempt to keep us from uncomfortable feelings. If we can get really good with the reality that sometimes life is hard, sometimes we feel sad, sometimes we feel angry or scared, if we can do these things and have this level of acceptance, then we really can start to live. Lastly, our culture 
contributes to this clinging to outcomes. Our culture teaches us that we should make things happen, we should act, we should do. And for most of us in this very left brain culture, we can become stressed when there is something that we feel we need to make happen and it's not happening. Uh, We're taught that we're masters of our destiny and that we should aspire to control things in our life. The reality, however, is that we don't control everything. And this reality can make us feel like a failure. It can create a great deal of stress. However, where we fail is thinking too rigidly and thinking too small about our lives. So much of what I'll be talking about is how we can have a more expansive view rather than a rigid and small view of ourselves and our lives. Do we know if we are clinging to outcomes? I'd like to go through six examples, and for each of these, you can evaluate if this is something that you have found stressful. And for each, I'll talk about how we can catch ourselves and reframe or shift our thoughts. Doing this repeatedly, as with anything, becomes automatic. We are rewiring our brains. I would argue that part of what we are doing here is moving from a very left brain way of thinking, where we think things need to be a certain way, to a right brain way of thinking that is less linear and less focused, but is more big picture thinking. It's able to consider what really matters and is more flexible. Right brain thinking, there are many possibilities and not just one outcome. So often when things don't work out as planned, we recognize that things often work out better than we could have imagined. So though normally I'm recommending that people learn to really toggle between the left and right brain way of thinking, in this case, it's all about pulling into that right brain perspective. And that's because in the case of clinging to outcomes, it's the left brain that is over-functioning. I'd like to go through six examples. The first one is life happens. Some people would say this differently. Your flight was canceled, something you have no control over. Do you become angry? Do you become upset and overwhelmed? Do you decide to take your angry feelings out on the person behind the desk or take your tearful overwhelm to that person hoping they may be able to rescue you from those uncomfortable feelings? What could you do instead? So obviously you could stop and take a deep breath. But you can also allow your mind to reorient, not unlike the lady on GPS, and then calmly reconsider your options. Better yet, you can switch your thinking into a place of curiosity. You might ask yourself, what is the deeper meaning here? What am I able to learn from the situation? Or even what am I being called to do? One doesn't have to have a belief in a higher power to have this internal dialogue. Searching for meaning, just as when we feel gratitude, doesn't have to require a concrete belief in anything for it to shift our focus from anger or fear to curiosity and opportunity. An easier place to start with this than a missed flight or a canceled flight would be a train slowing you down on the way to work. Or it could be a rainy day slowing you down. Let's say you're having to get to a meeting, and it's important to remember that you're showing up, for example, to that meeting upset or stressed. 
isn't better. It's not preferable to your showing up to the meeting with a calm state. So you might as well start to rewire your brain and take these as opportunities. This next example is about performance. What about when you present something for work or an event or a school? Maybe public speaking is involved. As you prepare, do you shift into perfectionism, trying to control the outcome? Do you lose sight of why you're doing what you're doing? Do you become hyper-focused on the details and how you may be judged? Do you worry about doing something embarrassing or foolish? This one I love because it was very helpful to me. In my childhood and very early adulthood, I was terrified of public speaking. Then when I realized that if I shifted my focus from myself to the content of what I was talking about and how it was useful to those who were listening, then my anxiety started to melt away. We have the choice to switch from the egoic, so the ego, left brain, worries about how we will look, over to the higher right brain way of thinking, which is focused on service. How what we're doing, how what we're talking about matters and how it will help others. For me, this always works. This can always translate, too, to career aspirations. Some people will hammer away at lists of short-term and long-term goals. My preference has become to set goals for myself that, yes, are about me, but more I try to balance it with asking, what is useful? Is this helpful to others? Ultimately, when our purpose is aligned with what makes us happy and what is most useful, that is when we can become the most successful at what we're trying to do. A third example would be around attachment or relationship anxiety. And this would relate to the fear that someone won't like us or fear that we could lose that relationship. It could be a new romantic relationship, dating, or even a new friendship. And questions we might ask ourselves is, do we worry about how much the other person sees us? Do we find ourselves censoring what we say or try to fit in with what we think they would want? Do we worry about losing the person's attention, essentially worrying about disconnection when we're enjoying the connection? Do we get derailed from other aspects of our life because of this anxiety? Are we finding the relationship anxiety provoking even if we like this person very much? I do have more about attachment-related issues on my previous podcast, but here I would say how able we are to shift again from this left brain way of thinking about ourselves to the right brain way of thinking, which is bigger picture, will shift us into a more relaxed state. So shifting this thinking from will they like me, again, me, 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 to asking, is this a good fit? Does my highest self feel at home with this person? Or does it feel like it needs to drop into the lower self to be liked by this person? We could even ask, am I projecting part of myself onto this person? But that's for another podcast. I think projection is really interesting and powerful in our relationships. When it comes to the bigger picture of our lives, we know that our greatest joy and connections will be with those whom we can be our authentic selves and with whom we can trust that the relationship doesn't hinge on every little thing that we say or do. 
We should be confident that we can be ourselves in those relationships that are healthy for us. This next example I'll call the boundary example. And questions that we might ask ourselves are, do we find ourselves telling people what they should do? And these may be people that we care about, we don't want to see them suffer, and we don't want to suffer because of their suffering. Do we imagine that we can influence the outcome in their lives? Or are we trying to rescue them from what we see as poor decisions? So how might we shift from, again, this left brain way of thinking to a right brain perspective? What shift can we make that will move us to the bigger picture that will be less stressful? We can shift to asking, what are we being called to do here? And perhaps we're being called to learn how to set boundaries and to honor the dignity of that person's own process. Here again, we can shift from ourselves to the other person. And instead, we can ask, how can we honor the dignity of their process and actually make it more likely that we can help them on their journey? How can we be a sounding board to help them hear themselves think and not drive them away? How can we trust that this is their journey and not our own and know that we don't have their answers? With the big picture, we know that we can be more helpful to someone on their journey when we are there to listen and to help them hear themselves, not when we are injecting our own views that are only relevant to our own journey. With this bigger picture, our role changes to being present for that person and moves away from trying to control them. This next example relates to fear that could be triggered by symptoms or illness, maybe even fears of death, or fears of illness or death of a loved one. So questions we might ask is, do we worry about our health? Will we find the answers? This may be particularly relevant for someone who has complex chronic illness. Um, What if we don't find the answers? What if we can't work? What if we can't care for ourselves or our child? Do we have the same worries for someone we love? Do we find ourselves obsessing excessively, searching for answers online? Are we excessively thinking about what we eat, our supplements, our environment? And I can tell you that when I was in the height of my struggle with uh, chronic illness, for me it was more in the form of fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue, this is where I was at. And I can assure you that it was making me sicker. It was not helping. I simply had to learn to let go of the notion of fixing. And I had to stop being at odds with my body and move to a place of acceptance. This didn't mean that I started eating a lot of carbs or that I stopped taking supplements. It meant that I held everything more lightly, and I learned to put my research into certain medical issues into a box and not allow that to consume my days and my life. And I started to focus more on mindfulness and the idea of really learning to let go. The two big shifts here, when we're learning to deal with such a challenge, is to recognize our feelings, to really have them and not move quickly 
to addictive behaviors, which could include searching the internet for answers. So if you are sad or angry or scared, express those feelings to a friend, a loved one, write it in a journal. Don't skip this step, but also don't stay there. Really recognizing and labeling and having those feelings helps us not only not stay there, it also helps us not obsess and focus on trying to control the future. The other step to realize is that it's only when we're able to see the big picture and to pull back and not try to control everything that those answers that we need start to show up. We can see what is really important in our healing, but we can't see it again until we pull back far enough. And often what is most important is to be able to put our mind and body in a relaxed state as much as possible. So having feelings, pulling back, and being open to answers that inevitably will come if we make room for them. And if this fear about the future relates to someone we care about, we can also shift to that right brain perspective and ask, how can I not let my sadness and fear get in the way of being present with this person that I love? So if we find ourselves dialoguing with them about things that we've read and searching for answers, while again, that could be helpful in a compartmentalized way, it should never surpass our being present and listening and just simply being there. The last example that I'll talk about is what I would call thresholds. And this is when our life is in the midst of change and we have no idea what it's going to look like on the other side. That we chose to cross a threshold doesn't mean that the unknown isn't scary. Uh, Recently, our family had been, or has been, still is in the process of relocating back to Louisville, Kentucky from Florida. Moves can be challenging enough, but questions that inevitably arose for us is, would our house sell? Would we find a house with the housing market the way it is? But add to that issues that my daughter and I have had in the past with mold toxicity as well as EMF sensitivity. There were questions such as, will we find a home that doesn't have water damage or a history of water damage? Will we find a home that doesn't have high levels of electromagnetic frequencies coming in from the outside such that it would be difficult to mitigate? Perhaps more challenging while we were looking for a house Would we be able to find an Airbnb that doesn't have mold or an EMF problem? Will we find one that is available for the time we need? Or will we have to relocate and then ask all these questions again? These last three months have really put me to the test in this regard. Have I been able to practice what I am preaching here about not grasping or holding tightly to certainty? First, I should say that there was a time I was more paralyzed by uncertainty. I was afraid of environmental exposures. I was afraid of many foods and many supplements because of my high immune reactivity. It really left me in a place of being stuck. And when you're in this place, your life becomes increasingly narrow and small. Because of toxicity and mold and secondary EMF sensitivity, my immune system was overreacting, 
And as important as these were to address, it was also extremely important to address the fear response that had been created by these exposures and to address the excessive need to control my body and what was happening in these various environments. So for me, what could have been an extremely stressful three months has actually been somewhat enjoyable. I've considered it almost like a scavenger hunt. Each time a new unknown presents itself, it's another opportunity to be open to what the universe is going to deliver and to give myself practice at being open and not trying to control. So if I find myself, for example, excessively searching on the internet to find the perfect Airbnb, that's when I know I'm not going to find the perfect Airbnb. But when I can sit back, relax, compartmentalize the time that I'll check out Airbnbs, and then spend the rest of my time enjoying my day, staying on my routine, doing things that I care about, like this podcast, then my answers inevitably come. So to avoid oversimplifying, I need to comment on what this is not. This is not about being passive. It's about being open and curious and relaxed. We can still work towards future goals while recognizing something could happen that could change the course of our plans. Research in positive psychology has shown that those people who are happiest are living in the present while also working towards a future goal. They don't have all their eggs in the future, nor do they have all their eggs in the present. And they have a flexible understanding about how the future may unfold in unexpected ways. I'd also like to emphasize, again, that when we're asking what is this situation calling me to do, this doesn't require a belief in an external higher power. For some, that idea of a higher power or a god does help with that dialoguing. For someone else, however, they can still ask the same question. What am I being called to do in this moment? What is this moment asking of me? Or what is my higher self? Or what is my soul asking of me in this moment? Or even what is my right brain asking of me in this moment? It really doesn't matter. What matters is that we're able to shift our attention and with that shift our physiologic state And by doing this over and over, we're able to train our body and our mind to be more relaxed and to know when to hone in on the details and when to pull back. Again, if you want to try to practice this, start with the small things, the rainy days, the train slowing you down, the little challenges that just happen during the day. Look at those as opportunities to practice this because, again, it takes practice to change these thought patterns. So to put this in perspective and connect the dots to some of the things that I've talked about previously, I would say this is a major tool when it comes to lowering stress. There are other ways that we can lower stress in our lives is to avoid doing too much, setting healthy boundaries in our relationships. We can build in practices to train our bodies to feel calm and safe. We can exercise, eat well, limit our exposure to toxins 
support detoxification, address nutrient imbalances, trauma, and many of the things that I've talked about on these podcasts. But don't underestimate the power of letting go of certainty and learning how to shift our brain more into this right brain, bigger picture, higher self way of thinking. I hope you found this podcast useful. If you'd like to be notified of future episodes or to receive my newsletter, please subscribe at my website, CourtneySnyderMD.com, where I also have information about root causes of brain-related symptoms. If you'd like to help me get this type of information out into the world, please consider sharing, liking, or commenting, or subscribing on my Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube accounts where I share other information. Until we connect in my next episode or on one of those social media sites, my wish for you is that something from this podcast helps you to be more present and more able to access your highest self and see the bigger picture of your life. Until next time, take care.